Known as the Impaler after his favorite means of execution, Dracula is said to have burned, boiled, disemboweled, and tortured his way into the history books. Aaron, have you seen that, and I'm not joking about this, they're giving out free vaccines at Dracula's legit castle in Transylvania? I did hear this. I also heard that there are going to be some things like that happening in the U.S., maybe at fast food restaurants I heard recently. (laughs) Oh, I like that uh, the closest thing we have to Dracula's castle here in the U.S. is fast food restaurants. (laughs) But really, it's so cool. Like, if that doesn't bump up global vaccination rates, I don't know what will. It's a great idea. Hey there, Pulse Check listeners. This is Jeremy Siegel, continuing our special series on the coronavirus outbreak. Today, I'm talking with Aaron Banco from Politico's health team about the current coronavirus situation across the world and what the U.S.'s role is and could be in the global effort to beat the virus. Here's our conversation. What parts of the world right now are being hardest hit and why? That's a great question. Um, So this is something the Biden administration is looking at really closely because it sort of wraps into our general conversation about what the U.S. can be doing more of to help other countries across the world fight COVID-19. So the concern seems to be really focused on South Asia, particularly India, Nepal, and some of the islands in the area as well. Mm -hmm. You know, State Department, along with their counterparts at USAID, are in constant conversations with their counterparts in these countries to figure out how the U.S. can help them basically reduce transmission and and sort of stop the spread of COVID-19 in these countries. Uh-huh. So so there is a highly transmissible variant that has emerged in India and is spreading in the region. And so that's of particular concern to global health officials and officials in these countries. There also seems to have been, over the last couple of months, some reduction in public health measures. And what I mean by that is that it seems that some of these countries have sort of relaxed things like um, mask mandates and taken a step back from pushing those very useful and critical public health um, messages that we uh, have been hearing for the past year and a half, you know, washing hands, wear masks, stay socially distanced. Mm-hmm. There have been instances of, of large group gatherings, particularly uh, religious gatherings in, in places like India. And and so it's the calculation among global health officials that that these kinds of events were really what kick-started the, the massive surge in India. And then, you know, what we're starting to see trickle over into countries that are surrounding that. I want to talk about what the U.S.'s role is here and what it could be doing in the global fight against COVID and some of the efforts to provide aid to these countries that are being hard hit right now. Let's start with what is happening. What sort of aid is the U.S. providing right now? So there are several different avenues for the U.S. to go down to provide aid to the rest of the world as it relates to COVID-19. So one of the areas is um, what we all know of as COVAX, and the U.S. is the largest financial donor to COVAX um, on the planet. 
It has invested, you know, uh, a lot of money in making sure that COVAX has what it needs in terms of supplies and and vaccines and raw components to be able to distribute vaccines to the rest of the world. The U.S. is also spearheading its own, its separate program, uh, apart from COVAX, to do direct donations to countries across the world in the form of therapeutics, uh, personal protective equipment, oxygen, and also vaccines. Now, Now, this is a relatively new program. We have only really seen those supplies going to to just a few countries. India is one of them, uh, Mexico and Canada. But it is, uh, we will start to see uh, a lot more information come out in the coming days, pretty soon here, perhaps by the end of the week, about what more the U.S. can be doing uh, or what it will be doing to give direct donations to some of these countries. It's a very complicated kind of messy process because what the U.S. has to do essentially is prioritize which country can get ahead of the curve and and stand in the first part of that line. And that can be a big deliberation and and figuring out what are the factors we want to consider when we're prioritizing these kinds of um, therapeutics and vaccines. So uh, it's been a long time coming, but it's also been a, a, a huge deliberation inside the administration. And there are some people inside the administration and others across the world who say the U.S. has not moved quick enough to help the rest of the world. And that's been a major uh, point of contention. Well, why haven't we done more? There seems to be two camps of people inside the Biden administration. I think everyone wants to help the rest of the world as much as we can. I think, though, that there are people inside the administration who believe that the U.S. is at a point now domestically where, in terms of our supply of the vaccine, in terms of our own infection rates, that we have the ability now, or or several weeks ago, had the ability to send vaccines and other raw components overseas. There are others in the administration who believe that the U.S., is not there yet, but will be very soon. And in the coming weeks and months, we'll start to see more of those direct vaccine donations head overseas. So there are a lot of things to consider, but there is that dissent inside the administration about when to do it and how to go about doing it. Is there anything major here that the U.S. could do but isn't? The major point here that officials have been talking about every single day for hours a day is what do we do with these extra AstraZeneca doses that have not been approved for use in the U.S., but that we've contracted for? Mm. The administration did say two weeks ago that they would send 60 million of those AstraZeneca doses to the rest of the world. That is a drop in the bucket for what the rest of the world is in need of right now. There are 300 million more AstraZeneca doses that that uh, will go into production. So I think what we could be doing more of now is moving more swiftly in getting those doses out to the rest of the world. And I think the holdup has been who do we send the doses to first? And and that is the the major point of contention. Lawmakers questioned U.S. officials on this subject yesterday. Did we learn anything new from their testimony? So I think we learned a little bit more about what the State Department and USAID's thinking is about this issue. They were very hesitant to get uh, in front of any announcement on AstraZeneca and where those doses are going. Um, As we are considering the allocation of the AZ doses and other things we may do on that front, 
Uh, we are taking a look at geography while we also try to keep an eye on how do we make sure we're starting to get that global coverage that's needed. But lawmakers did not hold back. I guess yeah. I'm, a, I'm a little uh, concerned as I've been listening to these uh, discussions so far that, that we're discussing, we're planning, we're prioritizing, uh, we're inter interacting with others. Uh, I mean, the president's put forward over $6 trillion of, of legislation bills uh, in his first 100 days. And yet, and yet, with regards to this global crisis, we're still planning and trying to prioritize. No, and, yeah. and I, they I, really that, pressed the uh, these representatives on what is the plan here. There seems to be basically five or six different ways we could be helping the rest of the world. And how is the U.S. going about prioritizing these resources, Senator? We've got that framework, and. I Respectfully, where, we've where, not been where, asked where is it? Because Senator Kane just asked what's happening in Latin America. Can we not know? I mean, do the people in Latin America, country by country, know what's coming to them, when it's coming? And Gail Smith, who is the lead on this over at the State Department, said that that is just an that's an ongoing discussion and that the prioritization and the rubric for how the U.S. is going to figure out where these resources go is not yet finalized. We are in the process of allocating the funding that was provided by Congress. Yeah, yes, I, we can walk in through the details of where that is going. I think it'd be helpful to have to have sure. that have that available to the not only Congress but to the American people and the people of the world. And I think that concerns some lawmakers, particularly Mitt Romney, who voiced his opinion in the hearing, saying there needs to be a clear foundation that we work off of, so that this can be a playbook that we use for the future. And that also needs to be made public, not not just to the American people, but also to lawmakers on the Hill so they can understand how U.S. resources are being used and, and where they're going. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's it's taken several weeks for the U.S. to get their footing on how they want to go about structuring the U.S. response to help the rest of the world. You see countries such as China and Russia who are out there trying to curry political favor with their, with their donations to other countries. They're trying to use it um, through this diplomatic framework where they can use it politically. And I think when it comes to vaccine diplomacy, we have some significant and hard decisions to make about prioritization. A few months into the pandemic, China capitalized on the moment to announce a $1 billion loan to the region to facilitate vaccine access. Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, Honduras, Mexico, Panama, and Venezuela are using Russia's Sputnik V vaccine. And Gail Smith uh, was very adamant that that is not the U.S. way, that is not the way the U.S. wants to go about sending these donations. But there is a lot of pressure at the same time to compete with countries like China and Russia. And the activities of Russia and China, uh, I would have to describe as robust but very cynical. One of the ways to respond is to make clear that the United States sees vaccines as tools for ending a pandemic and not as tools to twist people's arms or try to secure political influence. And I think there was some concern among lawmakers, like, why, why won't the U.S. do that? Why shouldn't the U.S. be doing that? Why shouldn't we be competing? But I think the State Department's view is that if we go that route and we want to leverage our vaccines in the same way China and Russia are leveraging their vaccines, it opens up a whole host of issues for the administration, that the administration, they just don't want to go down that path right now. At least that's what they're saying publicly. I think time will tell.
Let's say the U.S. were to just not do more globally, like hold on to those AstraZeneca shots, and we were to totally focus everything we can do on the U.S., you know, only keeping vaccines here, somehow devoting enough time, enough resources to truly get most of the population vaccinated, but we didn't worry about what happened in the rest of the world What does that situation look like? Like, could the U.S. somehow become an insulated bubble in that situation? Well, I think that's what we've been doing. Hmm. We've been holding on to a lot of our resources. Yes, we've been diverting cash to COVAX and cash to other countries. But the problem with the cash first approach is that no matter how much we donate, it's still going to take these other countries quite a long time to, for example, scale manufacturing and produce their own vaccines, to find their way through the supply chain uh, for things like therapeutics and, and personal protective equipment, where it would be a lot faster if the U.S. just did it through direct donation rather than trying to finance these other things. And and I think that's something the U.S. is still trying to figure out. I don't think it sends the right message. I don't think the administration wants to send the message that we're hoarding all of our resources when we don't need to. That's, that's not what the administration wants to do. They want to be a leader on the world's stage. They want to help developing countries, particularly um, in, in Africa, in areas in South Asia. But at the same time, there are, you know, political officials in the White House who are very um, of the domestic mind, mm. who are very worried about what message it will send politically to Americans across this country that we're diverting precious resources when we're not sure what's going to happen in our own country, particularly when vaccination rates are falling. I know it's impossible to predict this stuff, but like looking forward to later this summer or early fall when hopefully a good chunk of the country will be fully vaccinated. Um, it looks like states might have a lot of restrictions almost completely lifted. What do you think both the global and U.S. COVID situation will look like in that moment? And like, you know, what comparisons we could see on the global stage? I think it's very hard to tell where anyone is going to be tomorrow, let alone, you know, six months from now. But I think it's safe to say that we will continue to see these new variants basically spread across the world. And it's a race against time. It it really is a race against how many people can we get vaccinated before these variants start to wreak havoc on, on countries across the world. I think the U.S. is doing a really good job. We are on our way to to getting more people vaccinated. I'm a little concerned about the vaccination rates dropping off. I think we are going to have a real vaccine hesitancy problem over the next couple of months. And that concerns me, particularly because we are seeing the B117 variant and, and perhaps even the Indian variant that we are learning more about uh, drop closer and closer to our shores and perhaps uh, into our country. So it, it really is just a matter of how many people can we vaccinate uh, before these variants really do some damage. And we'll see kids start to go back to school in the fall. Um, I think it remains to be seen what the vaccination rate will look like uh, among adolescents. Obviously, there was a big announcement from Pfizer uh, on on the vaccine and adolescents this week. 
I think it remains to be seen what the what the child population, adolescent population will look like in terms of vaccinations in the fall. But these are all really important factors to consider. And this exact point is what is concerning folks inside the White House, um, those close to the president, that domestically we could face another issue if these new variants um, start to encroach on us and, and sort of spread throughout our own country. And I think that's the most the biggest concern right now. All right, that is our show for this week. Big thanks to Aaron Banco for joining me. I'm Jeremy Siegel. To stay on top of all of our latest coverage from Politico's health team, be sure to check out some of our health newsletters like Politico Pulse, Global Pulse, and Future Pulse. Also, subscribe to Pulse Check wherever you're listening if you haven't yet. Pulse Check's executive producer is Irene Noguchi, and our senior producer is Jenny Ament. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.